0: Hey guys and girls, thanks so much for joining me today. So, as we get older, whether we are straight, whether we're gay, bisexual, or fluid, as they now call it, there are many situations and emotions that we're all going to have in common, and two of those common felt emotions are going to be fear and anxiety. And these seem to go hand in hand. But for many of us, as we get older, whether we go into our 40s or our 50s or beyond, that mounting anxiety, that underlying fear can almost become paralyzing because it overtakes all of our thoughts. Sometimes you just sit and you worry. And that fear and that anxiety builds up and builds up. So how do we deal with these emotions that can be so crippling? How can we put to rest and calm that growing feeling of doom that just seems to sit there within our chests, always present, always attacking our quest for happiness? So let's explore that a bit in today's episode. But I just want to mention before we get started with that, that I'm using the month of February to be my month of getting subscribers, both to the podcast and to the YouTube channel. So if you've been a regular listener, or even a listener once in a while, I'd like to ask you to commit at this time to subscribe to the podcast. That way there, it moves me up in the iTunes rankings a little bit so that more people can see my listing, will come to listen to the podcast, and hopefully come on board with us regularly. Same thing with the YouTube channel. I know, I know, I know there's only two videos there right now. It will be picking up if you've checked that out but haven't subscribed to that. Please do so. This is the month of February on TV. It's considered to be sweeps month. I'm trying to give you some really good episodes this month, so please, please, subscribe to the podcast and the YouTube channel, both named An Older Gay Guy Show. Meanwhile, my name is Joey Hernandez, and this is Fear and Anxiety, the 38th episode of An Older Gay Guy Show. So let me begin today's episode by telling you a quick little legend story. Today's references are coming from a website called uncommonhelp.me. And this is the legend. Legend has it that Nasruddin was walking alone at night when he saw a group of people approaching in the far distance. Instantly, his imagination began to toy with him. They are surely robbers, he thought. No, why just robbers? Murderers? Cutthroats? About to set upon me a lonely traveler, leave me for dead, and steal all my possessions. How are my wife and children going to cope without me? Nasruddin's heart began to pound. His mouth became as dry as his palms became wet. He shook from head to toe and found himself breathing like an unfit man running to the finishing line of his first marathon. Having thoroughly terrified himself, he stumbled into a nearby graveyard and cowered, shaking inside an open tomb, awaiting his fate. Meanwhile, the harmless strangers, worried about his dramatic behavior approached him and looked with concern down into the tomb. What, pray, are you doing down there, they asked. Nazrutin, calming down quickly, said, Well, put it this way. I am here because of you, and you are here because of me. Imagination is a tool to be used, but how many people misuse it and use it to torment ourselves. Imagination and emotionality are closely linked, and what we imagine can feel very real to us, even if it isn't real at all. As the author Catherine Patterson once said, to fear is one thing, to let fear grab you by the tail and swing you around is something else. So, my friends, if you've listened to me before, I think you know that whenever I talk about a serious subject regarding aging in the LGBTQ plus community, I like to use a personal story whenever possible so you can see how my experiences relate to the topics, but also to let you know that if you have health issues or neuroses or sexual problems or whatever, I want you to know that you are not alone in your feelings and thoughts. So let me get personal for a few moments. I've tried to be very honest with you in this podcast, as well as in the diet and fitness podcast. Some think that I give away too many personal secrets and information, but I just figure that if one person even can learn from some of the mistakes that I've made, some of the experiences that I've had, that that would be worth it to maybe have a little embarrassment or being a little uncomfortable with speaking about something. I just feel that if really it can do someone else good, then I should put myself out there. So I've told you a lot about my childhood growing up and my fear and anxiety really can be traced back to a memory that I have when I was nine years old. I might have mentioned this in another podcast. Forgive me if I did, but I'll do this quickly. In 1967, here in the United States, we had a mandatory draft into the military. My father had been in World War II, but none of my siblings had been in the service, except for my sister, who was in the Navy. But was always in the United States in the Navy. My oldest brother and my two other brothers that are older than me never went into the military. But each year we would have a lottery drawing and it would be televised. And that was a very emotional time for my parents. They would sit and they would watch this lottery. And the way this lottery worked was that they would draw birth dates out from a large spinning drum, pull numbers out like it would be in bingo. And the birth dates that were drawn earliest were the ones that would be called up first to go in to enlist in the military. So my parents were always very much on edge watching for the date in all of this. So I was only eight years old at the time that I was watching all of this, and the emotions that they were feeling, that, that nervousness, that anxiety and fear, I was able to absorb. I could see it in my family. I could see it not only in my parents, but also my brothers that were a little bit older than me that potentially could be affected by the draft. So I really digested that a lot. So my earliest memory of fear and anxiety occurred on my ninth birthday, I remember sitting at the top of the stairs between our first and second floors of our house, and I remember crying my eyes out all through my ninth birthday, and I wouldn't tell my parents what was wrong. I didn't want to talk about it. And the reason that I was crying was I was able to realize that I just turned nine, which was already half my lifetime until I was 18 when I would then be eligible for the draft. So at nine years old, by thinking that my life was already halfway over and that in just that same amount of time, which was like the blink of an eye, I would be out in the war zones, potentially being killed or wounded horribly and dying alone. Charming things for a nine-year-old to fucking be thinking about. But that's the way it built in my life. And my own fears really blossomed after my father died. He died when I was 12. And my mother was in the process of dying when I was a teenager. And that panic of being alone because my parents were going to be dead. My brothers and sister had all gotten married, had their own kids, moved on that I would be left alone, and also knowing that because my father died when I was 12, my mother thought it was not necessary for me to do any chores or to learn anything to be able to take care of myself. And I was realizing as my mother was dying that I had never been taught the basics to do anything, to do laundry, to do food shopping, to do cooking, to balance a checkbook, nothing. And it was that fear and anxiety about trying to exist on my own without having the knowledge of what to do, that led me to becoming engaged to a woman that I was engaged to for about a year and a half. I was kind of chasing that feeling of safety somehow. All I wanted out of life at that point, the only thing that I could possibly think of was that I wanted to get rid of that feeling that I was all alone, that something awful would happen at any time. I just wanted that to go away no matter what it took. I desperately felt the need to feel safe. And so, therefore, by becoming engaged to this woman, she could take care of me. (laughs) It didn't work out. We ended up breaking up. We actually lost a child. She was pregnant and miscarried. And after that, I moved on with my life and things got a lot better once I became a funeral director. And I've, I've told you a little bit about that, but once I became a funeral director and I had the education behind me, I had a job now, I began to learn to do the things that I should have known all along. I began to feel like I could stand on my own. And that continued as I went into the gym business, which was an even more uncertain future, but I felt pretty confident at that time that no matter what, I was going to be able to survive on my own. And I was feeling pretty good, pretty confident for a good five, six, seven years or so. And that unfortunately was when I was diagnosed with cancer and due to some testing of everything about my body and what was going on. I was discovered to have a congenital heart defect and therefore my doctor basically told me that I should expect to have two to three years to live. And I had some panic again of who would take care of me as I got sick, as I wasn't able to support myself anymore. And I'll be honest, I considered, should I just go and end it all? I was just deeply depressed, but at the same time, in a weird, weird way, I was calm because I knew that all the things that I had feared about growing older and about taking care of myself and managing my own life, they were no more. I didn't have to worry about aging because I was told two to three years. So if I could just get through those two to three years, manage to be able to have enough money that I could be taken care of as I died, then everything would be okay. And the life that I felt was tremendously difficult, tremendously fearing it would be over. And that gave me a certain peace. And then, damn, I lived. (laughs) Didn't expect that. You know, they said two to three years and five years went by, I wasn't dead. And then 10 years went by, I wasn't dead. And then 20 years went by and I wasn't dead. And it was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to live. Now what do I do? (laughs) You know, then I had to realize that I was going to have the ability to experience all the wonderful things in life because I was going to live potentially a normal lifespan. So once again, I was kind of thrown into this dichotomy. I was happy that I was going to live, but now I was fearful of those issues about growing older. So happy on one end, fearful on the other. And these included issues about health, about being less attractive to many people, and therefore the chances of having a gay relationship that would last, that was getting less and less as I aged. So in fictional movies they always show that when someone thinks they're going to die and they find out that they're not going to it the movie ends with tremendous joy and happiness for everyone. Well, it isn't always that way because in a strange sort of way the fear that was able to be put aside because your life was shortened now comes back and it begins to haunt you in ways that you didn't expect. In the podcast episode that I titled, Who Will Take Care of Us, a number of podcasts ago, I was talking about the fear that exists as we grow older, that perhaps we don't have someone that is going to be able to be the person that takes care of us, or perhaps we're not going to have the money to pay for a nursing home or pay for medical care that you will be needing. And I certainly haven't saved any money for old age, even at the point I'm at right now. I have nothing more than a few thousand saved, and that isn't going to go very far. So from this point, as I move forward in my life, I'm kind of clinging to every extra dollar I have to try to put it away so that I won't have a great burden on my husband Paco. 20 years from now when i'm in my late 70s and he will only be approximately my age at that time so no matter what your situation you still are going to have some fear and anxiety no matter what you do and so that brings me to the point here now where i had to really think long and hard about whether or not to say what i'm about to say i wanted to be honest but at the same time i i wanted to protect my privacy to a certain extent It just seemed that, again, maybe if it helps someone, then it's not so bad saying it. So many times, my depression, over the course of the years after my parents died and I was diagnosed and I was trying to figure out what was going to happen those last years of my life, my depression got to the point where sometimes I just wanted to go and be with my parents, in whatever afterlife I believed in or whatever God I believed in that would take care of me and bring me back with them. It never amounted to a suicide attempt, but I thought about it a lot, quite often. And I would often, during the very difficult times, during the the worst of times, I really just prayed somehow that my heart would stop in my sleep. Since I knew I had this heart defect now, that I knew that was a possibility. Heart attacks often happen in the very early morning hours, either when you're sleeping or when you first get up. So I knew that that was a possibility, and I I just felt that was the best thing. If I could just go be with my parents or go into nothingness if there really is no afterlife. During those times, during those worst of the fearful nights that I spent when I was alone and drinking, which didn't help, obviously, I just wanted so much for that anxiety to go away. But I continued in therapy for years. I tried various medications and Now, at this point in my life, it seems that I'm at a very good point. In the last 10 years, I have to say that I'm feeling so much better psychologically, so much more balanced. I'm not depressed. I feel a lot of happiness, but I still have a fair amount of fear and anxiety, and that is still being addressed to this day in therapy. And to be honest with you, this last election, it's really a topic of great fear for me as it is for so many people in this, I was going to say country, but in this world, we're fearful of what's going to happen because of this asinine election that we just had. And I worry about the fact about the annexing of Mexico, which might impact Paco's family and friends from visiting us. You know, if the relations continue to deteriorate, who knows what's going to possibly happen because of this nut job that pisses off foreign leaders, which might lead to a war. And certainly there's going to be some changes to LGBTQ plus rights and things we haven't even thought about. Are potentially going to happen. There's a prediction of changes that might happen in Medicare and Medicaid and social security. And that's going to be something that all of us should be fearful of. That's why getting involved in protests, getting involved in changing things in the midterm elections is so vitally important to LGBTQ plus rights. I don't want all of this to be negative in this podcast. So let's look at five things that one can do to help overcome fear and anxiety. And this continues from uncommonhelp.me. And I'm just going to preface this with something that I often say on my diet podcast, beginner diet and fitness podcast. Sometimes things are immediately discounted in your mind because they seem so simplistic or because you've heard about them so many other times. The things that work the most in life are the things that are the most simplistic. And maybe because we're still an evolving species, as we go along, we seem to think that we need to have things that are more mentally challenging to you, more psychologically challenging to you, more physically challenging to you. When all the data really shows that the most simplistic of things, the things that you've heard about all of your life, that you just haven't put enough effort into to see if it really does work, you close your mind for whatever reason. Often the data shows that those things really do work, but you just haven't given it enough of a chance. So I'm going to ask you to please keep your mind open as we go over these five points. The first one, and again, from UncommonHelp.me. Breathing is the short circuit for anxiety. It says, I know, I know, you hear a lot about deep breathing to help relax and reduce anxiety, but bear with me. If you purposefully breathe out longer than you breathe in, your body has to calm right down regardless of what tricks your imagination is playing on you. So if you start to feel fearful, stop, focus on your breath, take a breath in to the quick count of seven in your mind, then slowly breathe out to the quick count of eleven in your mind. If you do this for a minute or so, you'll be amazed how quickly you've calmed down. We call this 7-11 breathing. But the numbers are up to you, as long as the out-breath takes longer than the in-breath. Number 2. Prepare for peaceful performance If you get anxious and fear about upcoming events, you'll notice that just thinking about that, whether it be an interview or a speech, or whatever it is, once you start thinking about that, you start to cause physical responses, namely anxiety. So you might be thinking about next Wednesday's dental appointment and finding yourself breathing more quickly and your palms beginning to get moist. This in turn primes your body to become even more anxious for the actual situation. So the vicious cycle continues. And note the role of the imagination in priming your mind and body to feel fear. But you're going to find that breathing in a relaxed 7-Eleven way while you imagine the upcoming situation, when you do this breathing while you're imagining it, it calms the association down, and that primes your mind to feel more relaxed naturally and automatically when the actual situation arrives. Number three, use a different part of your brain. When we become very anxious, it's harder to think clearly. But if we force ourselves to use parts of the thinking brain, this will dilute the emotion and begin to calm you down. The easiest way to do this is with numbers. You can scale your own fear from one to 10, 10 being the most terrified it's possible to be, and 1 being the ultimate relaxed state. When you're feeling anxious, ask yourself, Okay, what number on the scale am I right now? Am I a 7 or a 5? Just doing this will lower anxiety because it kickstarts the thinking brain. This dilutes the emotion, and it automatically starts making you calmer. Number four, get control of your imagination. Fear and anxiety thrive when we imagine the worst. We develop imagination to be able to project into the future so that we can plan ahead. However, a side effect of being able to imagine possible positive futures Is being able to imagine things going wrong. Some people misuse their imagination chronically and so suffer much more anxiety than those who either future project their imaginations constructively or those who don't tend to think about the future much at all. So sit down and do your 7 Eleven breathing. Count yourself down from whatever number you deem yourself to be a two or a one. Imagine seeing yourself in the situation you were dreading, but see yourself being calm, composed, cool, and comfortable, and things going well. And lastly, number five, use the AWARE technique, A-W-A-R-E. And let me state before we do this, I have a thing about acronyms when they're used this way because it always seems like one or two of the letters, they're really reaching for something to mean something for that letter, but let's do it what it's supposed to be here. Aware. The A, accept the anxiety. Don't try to fight it. W, watch the anxiety. Just watch it, and when you notice it, scale your level of fear and start to breathe longer on the outbreath. A stands for act normally. Carry on talking or behaving as if nothing's different. This sends a powerful signal to your unconscious mind that its overdramatic response is actually not needed because nothing that unusual is going on. Like firefighters coming out and seeing that no emergency is happening and so going back to the fire station. The R Repeat the above steps in your mind if necessary. I think this is just a way to figure what to do with the R. And lastly, E, expect the best. One of the greatest feelings in life is the realization that you can control fear much more than you thought possible. So does it make you less anxious hearing all that? Yeah, yeah, uh, I don't know. It doesn't relieve my fear completely, but I do have to say that I've noticed a difference in my instant reactions when I take the time to pause and to breathe. So I'm definitely going to try some of these suggestions, and hey, I'm going to ask you to do it too. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the podcast and also check out an older gay guy show on YouTube. I am using February as my month to get subscribers, so please subscribe to one or the other, or both, and make me a happy, happy man. Meanwhile, thank you, my friends, for taking the time to listen. I'll be back soon enough. Meanwhile, if you want to contact me, my email is an older gay guys show at gmail.com. I respond to everyone, so please send a hello. Thanks, my friends. Talk soon. Bye for now.